0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk the faces behind books. I'm Nathan Van Koops. I am your host and today I'm going to be doing a special uh, breakdown episode. This is going to be a, a solo episode uh, without an interview today. So the only book face you're getting today is me. But um, I have been looking forward to doing this particular episode for a while. It's been, uh, the topic is going to be the Story Grid, the the book by uh, editor Sean Coyne, and I'm also going to be discussing the podcast, the Story Grid podcast by Sean Coyne and Tim Grawl, who um, have you know come together to to make this podcast, which is basically an explanation of the book, the Story Grid. The Story Grid is one of these. Um, Editing books that for writers, it has been you know, pretty well known. Um, I'll show you a picture of the, the cover right now. I have the, the full paperback edition of, of the book uh, available. I went out and bought this years ago because I, I really enjoy craft books and, and learning, obviously, to be a better writer at, at any available opportunity. So I uh, went out and got this, but I was immediately daunted by this book, unfortunately. When I first started... I uh, I took a look at it and I thought, oh my goodness, this thing is uh, got uh, it's got a lot in there, uh, including spreadsheets. And for me, spreadsheets are like my kryptonite. You know, if there's a scale of fun and fun is on one end, spreadsheets would be on the far end for me, the the opposite of fun. And uh, it was very daunting and intimidating for me. And I th- I was like, oh man, maybe this isn't for me. This this way of breaking down story. Uh, with this kind of structure. And I, I like structure. I enjoy seeing the components of story. And um, it was, you know, some, I initially really liked it, but I kind of got overwhelmed by it. And I don't think I'm the only person who's been overwhelmed by the Story Grid book because it is dense. And what Sean Coyne has done here is sort of one of his goals with the book is to create a new vocabulary for editors and, and writers to communicate with each other about elements of story. So he has come up with new terminology. Um, and common terminology linked with, you know, things that we're already familiar with, maybe uh, vocabulary from other editors or writers. Um, Robert McKee's story, for example, you'll you'll see words in there like inciting incident, which we've come to be pretty uh, used to at this point. But he also has come up with new stuff. And even on like his podcast recently, they're coming up with something called a fear, which is P-H-E-R-E, which is a little small element of story, which they're starting to get kind of complex on the, on the podcast, uh, which was part of the trouble for me when I first started was that someone had recommended the podcast for me, and I'm like, sure, okay, I'll jump into it, and they were right in the middle of uh, dissecting um, Tim Grahl's book. He's writing a novel, and they're kind of editing the book on the podcast using the story grid method, and my mistake was jumping right in to a recent week's episode and then getting completely lost because I didn't know what they were talking about. So again, it was it was a you know kind of a poor start for me. Uh, so I kind of put the book aside and hadn't gotten back to it. In, uh, I know um, Sean Corn was even at Nink this past year and I didn't really sit in on, on the talks because I thought, you know, I don't know if this is really the method for me. But at the beginning of this year, I was working on my novel and uh, one of my author friends volunteered to read it. He says, you know what, I'm excited to read your book and I want to put it through the story grid. And for me, I was terrified. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what do you mean you're going to put my book through the story grid? Um, I better hurry up and understand what this means before before you do this, because I don't want this my book to to be a complete failure in this uh, system. And it's not the system is that complex. The system is um, it's just a way of structuring your story with particular uh, terminology and things. But there is a, quite a bit that i learned. So one, one of the things I did, one of my friends, uh, Alan Janney, who is a former guest of the show, uh, excellent writer, an all-around cool guy, um, he was the one who was going to be reading my book and is reading my book and uh, putting it through the story grid. And he said, well, one of the things I did was I listened to the podcast and I listened to it on twice the speed or, or more than half times speed, so it just goes to faster. And I said, well, that's a good idea. So I went back to the very beginning of the story grid Grid Podcasts. And I actually increased it to double speed just because they do talk fairly slowly. Some podcasts, you can get away with this. And if you put it on double speed, it basically just makes it sound like they have a really fast banter. Uh, but your brain can handle it. like It's it's fine to listen to. So I, will go, I went ahead and plowed through all these back episodes of the Story Grid Podcast on double speed, you know, churning through hour-long podcasts in a half hour, which was great, so I was able to just download all of this information from the beginning, which then got me excited about reading the book again. And by the time I got through all that, I understood what they were talking about, and so then the book was no longer daunting. Even though the book came first and the podcast came later. They go together in a really great way and, and teach you about story and uh, how to how tell a compelling story, but it also gives you some specific tools. And I even started using the spreadsheet, amazingly enough. Uh, at the end of this, I even figured out how to use the, the spreadsheet in Excel. At Handily, there are some really cool tools available on thestorygrid.com, and you can go to the downloadable resources. I put a link in the comments. You can actually check this out. And there's, there's plenty of information. If you're interested in writing a story, then, you know, it's, it's a great place to find this information. Uh, I see Chrissy is watching. I see Kay is watching. I see Mark is watching. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for saying hello and checking out my my little live episode here. I see Brooke is watching. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for, for saying hello. So this episode is, um, you know, basically just going to be me talking about story structure a little bit and also in this particular type of story structure... And how to edit your book if you're or and how to tell a, whether a book is working one of the main focuses of the story grid is whether a story works or not because there are a lot of stories out there that you know face it just don't work like you get disappointed there's problems with them and it helps to identify those problems that is the main goal of an editor is to identify problems with a story and then uh, see where where you went wrong and then get you back on track so I was very excited about that I was excited to do that to my own book and I was, you know, this tool, these, this set of tools was, was really helpful for me. And I think that having gone through this process of reading the book and um, listening to the entire podcast, I have a much more fundamental understanding of story. It's a little daunting, but I'm going to break it down um, for you guys some of my key takeaways so that um, you can decide whether you want to jump into this or not. Um, like I said, I thought that... Um, you know, reading the book was the best way for me, but it turns out I'm more of an auditory learner, and it in the podcast really was what made it happen for me. So it just depends on on um, what's you know what's best for you. Kay says hi. I can't watch long, so I'm leaving soon, but I'll come back later and watch watch this later. So I understand. Kay, thank you for saying hello. I appreciate you being here and uh, and checking in and, and saying hi. And if you're checking this out later, you know, feel free to leave comments, and I'll I'll engage with you in the comments as best I can. Or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, as many are these days. Um, Feel free to just you know say hi in the comments and uh, later on and I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer if uh, if I can um, so let's get into this story grid podcast or a story grid book and talk about what what they're uh, dealing with here um, one of the things I, like I said they' they're trying to come up with a common vocabulary for writers and editors to be able to communicate about story elements in a way that makes sense so everyone is speaking the same language um, so some of the things that they talk about are, Um, like genre for example is a big one that was one of the big things that was a takeaway from this was the absolute importance of genre and understanding uh, your genre there were six editor six core questions basically that um, an editor would ask a writer and that's one of the things that Sean um, discusses and it's also available on his website Um, and the first question of them all is genre and then what are the conventions and obligatory scenes of that genre meaning like Put this in, in layman's terms. Like, for example, I'm working on a, on a story that involves cool cars. And if you look at any cool car movie, for example, there are certain things that you would expect to see in that car movie. Um, for one, a car chase. At some point, you're going to have a car chase in a cool car movie. You're not going to, um, you know, just go through the whole movie with the cars sitting still and never racing each other around and doing cool car stunts. You know, that's just not going to happen. If you did do it that way. You would be breaking a genre convention and your readers would be horrified. Um, So that's one of the things that I really took away right out of the gate with this method was the importance of understanding your genre, understanding and studying other books and stories in your genre to understand what the commonalities are and what you absolutely kind of have to include in your book if you want to make readers happy and meet their expectations. Um, To use a contrasting example, I'm kind of going to throw a book under the bus here, um, so apologies to to Cherry Priest, who wrote uh, the book Bone Shaker, but years ago, I picked up this book. I was at the um, Haslam's, who, um, Ray from Haslam's has been on the show, it's a local independent bookstore, and I saw this book on the shelf, and, I, and it's called The Bone Shaker, for those of you who are not watching and can't see the, the uh, image, but it has a really cool, beautiful cover of some steampunk art with um, this lady... It's a you know it's a it's a painting of a, of a woman with these goggles on and in the goggles there's a reflected airship and it just really hits the the main tropes for a steampunk book. This if you look at the color scheme everything about it even the even the title um, screams you know a steampunk adventure story. And when I read the the description on the back I was instantly sold and I said okay well this is exactly what I, I want to read, this is, it was about this machine basically called the Bone Shaker, this underground sort of tunneling machine that, um, that was sh- so violent that it, it shook the ground as it, as it moved, um, called the Bone Shaker, which I thought was an amazing name, and then basically uh, it, it had caused some gas to spring up and then now the city of Seattle was inhabited by zombies and et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that was perfect. That was a story that I was 100% excited about. I said, this is exactly the type of story I want to read. And I had I went in with expectations that this was going to be amazing. I came out of that book completely dissatisfied, and I hated the story. Um, even though I was the exact target audience, and these were all genre uh, conventions and things that I would buy into normally, she decided to break some rules in this book. And you can say, oh, well, you know, some people that, that feel like genre conventions are confining. They say, oh, well, I don't want to do what everyone else does in a, in a story. I want to do something completely different. I get that. However, there are basic things that we expect to see. Like in a romance story, we expect a happily ever after. If they don't, or at least happy for now, if they don't end up together at the end, you're going to make people angry. In, in the case of Bone Shaker, <clears throat> I was furious because the entire time we're told about this amazing machine called the Bone Shaker, which is this you know, awesome mechanical invention that, that shakes the ground as it tunnels through the earth. And by the end of the story, when we finally find the bone shaker, they never use it. They have this amazing machine that they've titled the book after, and it never even operates. They, they find it, it's kind of like a set piece, they move on. Nothing ever happens with this story. And that's kind of what happens with most of the characters in the story as well. She sets up some really interesting characters with mechanical arms and fun steampunk things. She had all the, all the, the window dressing of a great steampunk story, but the characters didn't behave in a way that made sense to the story. Uh, for example, the villain, the main villain of the story is killed by a secondary character who isn't even the protagonist the the, the hero of the story doesn't actually do anything to save themselves at the end it's someone else who does the job for them someone else who doesn't even have a real story arc which is a complete no-no in the the case of of, of a story this is a structural uh, element that was fundamental to the structure of the story and making it work why did the story not work they broke a couple of main pillars along the way. So um, so for people that feel hemmed in by a structure, um, Sean Coyne, one of the quotes I got from his podcast, which I thought was excellent, was that uh, if you're trying to build a house, like maybe you don't want to build a house that looks like everyone else, you don't want a cookie cutter house that looks the same as everyone else's house, you want to do something completely different. But at the end of the day, your house is still going to need a roof, it's still going to need walls and a door. It's going to need basic things that, that any house needs. So if you go to try to build a completely new house and you're like, I'm not going to have doors. I'm not going to have windows. You know, I'm going to, like, not going to bother to put in structure to hold the roof up. Your house isn't going to last. The first time it gets windy, it's going to fall over and kill everyone inside and it's going to be a terrible house. So no one will be happy with that. So if you want to create something cool, great, but you still have to have the fundamental elements in there that hold the story up and make it function. So. Make sure your your story has a front door and a roof and you know roof supports. Like, don't fall, don't let it fall down completely because you you want it to be so avant garde that you just thought that you could change things. So understanding your genre, understanding your genre conventions, is a big part of, of writing a story that works. It has to at least function on the basic level. So that was a big thing for me. Um, I'm writing, like I said, I have have a cool car in my in my. Uh, Book, and I also have sort of a um, competition element, so I went around and looked, and I did the research, and I said, okay, what, if, if I have a competition story, what are some of the, the basic elements of a competition story? Well, if you're watching Rocky IV, Hero gets beat in the beginning, he has to train really hard, and he has to come back and face off with against his nemesis at the end again. That's a basic element of that type of story. It's the karate kid. It's the same thing. Kid gets beat up, kid trains really hard, kid comes back, wins at the end like it's the same story same basic structure if you're writing a Cinderella story you know, you, you understand the concept and you can you can make it your own you can make it interesting and unique and put all kinds of different spins on it but the basic elements are there and, and what the most, the most important element is that the reader is gonna be happy at the end they're gonna be feel satisfied by the way that you've constructed this thing, and put it back together. So at the end, they're walking away. I see David Frank is watching. Hi, David. I see Ryan Z is watching, and and Danielle. Hi, guys. Uh, Thanks for popping in and saying hello. Um, Appreciate you you checking this out. So, um, one of the other things he talks about, which I think is really important in this book, in this podcast, is the five commandments of story. Um, And he ties these into a, a tool, which he calls the Fool's Cap Story Grid. Um, yeah, Fool's Cap global, global Story Grid. And the Fool's Cap, the term Fool's Cap is actually a, a term for paper. It is this type of, like, legal pad, basically, where you have a legal pad, and it's this lined um, pad that you use. That's, that is what Fool's Cap is. I mean, here, Fool's Cap, um, that's what he's referring to, is basically a legal pad. And what he says is that you can outline your entire story on one piece of paper, if you have one of these legal pads like you should be able to do it all you put a couple lines across it and what you're going to do is um you know basically break down your your first second and third act it's basically a, a three-act structure type situation and then you're going to and i'll show you a picture of this because he has a has a picture available um, this is, again this is a free download on the website you're welcome to go just go check it out um, but basically there's a global genre uh which we're going to talk about in a second then we have our what he refers to as the beginning hook, which is Act One, essentially. The middle build, which is going to be your Act Two, and then the ending payoff, which is Act Three. All right. But up at the top, you'll notice that he has added something different uh, to just the regular three-act structure. He talks about the global genre, which is obviously we've discussed is important. Um, then that can be external and, and, external, uh, and internal as well. That can be an internal genre that kind of is the subplot of the internal character struggle. And then he actually has you listing your obligatory scenes and conventions of your genre just so you don't lose track of them. And then he wants to discuss the other uh, six core editor questions, which are point of view, what's the object of desire that your hero has, what do they want, basically. Then what's the controlling idea and theme of the story. And then the sixth question is what are your beginning hook, um, middle build, and ending payoff. So... um, if you download this this spreadsheet, it's already comes like this, it looks like this. it has all these things sort of pre-written in there and you can fill them in yourself which is which is handy. Um, but the, the five commandments of storytelling basically are these elements that he talks about in each individual uh, section of your story. That is the inciting incident, which sometimes people have referred to as you know like the why this day like what what happened that changed something um, and this can be, Something external, this could be happenstance. Um, somebody just got lucky, you won the lottery, and now all of a sudden your life has changed. Or it could be something you deliberately did differently, um, or something that's happened to you. Like There's a lot of ways that an inciting incident can happen, but basically something has changed. The status quo has changed. And that's going to happen. Uh, you'll notice that it, all of these five things, these five commandments, happen multiple times throughout the book. I had previously thought that the inciting incident was something that only happened at the beginning of the story. And that's the global inciting incident. But it turns out, uh, the way he structures, there's an inciting incident, um, complication, crisis, climax, and resolution for every single section of the book. Those are his five commandments. There must be the inciting incident, a complication, we'll talk about these in more detail, uh, a crisis, a climax, and then a resolution. And those we're fairly familiar with, those of, of you who have studied story before, kind of know the basic structure of of Crisis Climax Resolution. But by adding in complication, um, I think that's that's helpful. And he talks about the idea of progressive complications a lot, where you can't continue to have the same complication over again. Um, If the problem that your hero has is that he lost his job, he can't just keep losing his job over and over again throughout the story, um, because that's boring. We need things to be getting worse. Uh, Maybe because he lost his job, he now lost his wife. You know I mean and because he lost his wife now he um, did something crazy to try to get her back and now he's potentially going to prison. Now these are progressively worse things that are happening throughout the story. That's a progressive complication, not just, you know, one continuous thing happening over and over again. And a lot of times the reason why stories get dull is because either the, the complications are not progressing up or they're they're progressing back down. Sometimes we might have something bad happen and something less bad happen later and then less bad happen. And like, yeah, we're having a complication, but it's not progressive. It's not it's not escalating the stakes. It's actually diminishing the stakes. And that's why books get boring. So, um, and also, while he talks about complications, he also talks about the concept of a turning point of a scene. And this is something that I thought was very important that I had not thought about before. Um, <clears throat> was that, it- Inside each individual scene, which is of course your kind of basic element of story. You've got your chapters um, You've got your global story. You've got your acts, you know big acts of first, you know your in this case beginning hook middle build and then ending payoff But those break down into smaller sections and <clears throat> they break down into scenes typically when you look at a movie for example, you'll see maybe 40 scenes in a standard film and uh See, Brett Keeney's watching. Hi, Brett. Good to see you. I haven't, haven't seen you in a long time, so uh, nice to say hi. Hey. Um, but, so, basically, if you're understanding story, the, one of the key elements of a story is called the, um, the scene. And the scene, and you actually break the scene down a little bit more into beats if you want. But each scene has to serve a function. And, and usually, what happens in a scene is something changes, just like in a story. Um, there has to be a change involved. And if the change is, you know, positive or negative, it can go either way. Um, it has to turn on a particular event. And this can be something that the hero realizes, or something that they've learned, which is called a revelatory uh, turning point in Sean Coyne's terminology. Um, or, uh, you know, it can be, it can come in, in other ways. So, um, and I, I can't remember what the other term is. I'm, I'm losing it off the top of my head here. But... Um, <clears throat> David Frank says, without these two tools, I would still be struggling to finish a first draft. I agree. Um, and Marilyn says, hi, how did four come around so soon? Okay. Um, yeah, I know I've kind of jumped jumped right into this, but they are all related. They're sort of subparts of a larger, um, like if you're looking at this, this Fool's Got Global Story grid and you're looking at the, the, the five... Uh, commandments. we're looking at them right now on the screen, is that inciting incident, complication, crisis, climax, resolution. Um, so yeah, and David, I, I completely agree. Understanding story structure is what takes you out of being an amateur author into being a professional author, and, and really being able to understand story on, at a big picture scale. I think one of the things that a lot of us get um, bogged down in is by looking at a novel, maybe we've pantsed our way through this novel and we've just sort of written from the heart and then told this story, we get to the end and think how do i now it's so big now how do i go back and look at it in a way that makes sense and and how do i even begin to attack editing this thing and to see if it works and this this tool this foolscap global story grid is great for outlining in advance but it's also great for going back and looking at seeing if you can identify these things because you'll notice that if you add up our um our different inciting incidents our, our five elements you only get 15 scenes, but your book might have 60 scenes in it. So um, this is in no way the entirety of your book listed here in the beginning hook, middle build, and ending payoff. This is not the entire story. These are just key elements of the story that it pays to um, write out in advance. You should kind of know what these 15 scenes are in your book um, because as much, you can add in a lot of other stuff around them, but as long as these kind of 15 are there, you you kind of know that the basic pillars of the story exist, and th- that the roof is going to stay up. You know, and at the end of this story, we're still going to have you know a structure that has held together, and we're going to have a satisfying ending. Uh, because your ending payoff, you know, the, the crisis climax and resolution of your ending payoff is going to end up being the crisis climax and resolution of your entire story. Just like the inciting incident and complications and crisis of your first part of your story are going to be the inciting incidents of the entire novel. So this is just a tool. Um, I definitely recommend checking out. And he has a way of of uh, having you list the external charge and internal charge. And he has a lot of other terms that I'm not going to get into um, necessarily right now, just because I don't have that much time to get into the weeds. But basically, when we come back to the scene element, the scene should turn. Basically, every scene you've got something has to change. If you if you have a scene in your story where it's just description or it's just listing the status quo and the, ch- the, the hero goes into the beginning of the scene and comes out at the end of the scene the same. That scene needs to go. It's probably not doing its job. It, it, if we haven't gone from positive to negative charge, or if you haven't, or gone from a negative to a positive, um, then it's probably yeah, you know, it's probably not useful. It's probably a neutral, a boring part of your book basically. Um, and, and what happens is like one of the things that he has you do is fill out this story grid spreadsheet. This is where the Excel thing comes in, where you basically go. And you plot your entire book on an Excel spreadsheet, uh, listing the scenes, and then you list like whether they're positive or negative. Basically, like how is this? How is what changes? What's the polarity that changes in this in the story? And by going down just that column of polarity shifts, you can see, okay, well, it went from positive to negative, and then it went from negative back to positive, and then it went from negative to like positive, and then it went from positive to really positive, but then it all came crashing down and went super negative. You know, like you can kind of you can track kind of the rises and falls like if you were to graph your story out you can kind of watch as your your story goes up and down on this little graph and the overall trend of the story obviously should be that the the all of it gets more progressively complicated as you go so that by the time you reach your real crisis of your uh, your finale that there's nothing else to be done they've gone down every other avenue and then they have been hemmed into this this corner where they have to deal with their flaw they have to write the wrong whatever it is uh, there's no other way out of it um, Kay says this is gonna help me with proof and beta reading when someone th- something something the story bothers me but I can't put my finger on it the issue could be exactly the story build <coughs> and missing rules very interesting information so yeah absolutely um, a lot of times people do read a story and they realize that they don't like it for some reason, and they're trying to figure out why. They're like, well, why does this story not work? And you know it. You get that it doesn't work. Like, something's wrong. I mean, it happens with movies, too. You're like, why was this movie so unsatisfying? Um, And usually it's because there's some fundamental element missing in the way that they structured it. Um, Maybe the hero never faced their flaw, or maybe they dealt, there's sort of this deus ex machina thing where their problems got resolved at the end without their... Um, real action. Maybe you have a really passive protagonist and things just happen to them and they never actually do anything in response. Um, these can all be big problems in stories and they're fairly common, uh, especially with beginning writers. Um, and it's something that we can we can fix by analyzing story structure and understanding some of these things. Um, so yeah, so they, these are some of the, the key elements. Like I said, that, this is something that I hadn't necessarily dealt with, the value shift concept and the idea of Um, making sure that each scene has its own, each section, each act basically has its own crisis and climax and resolution, then also that each scene serves a purpose and has a positive or negative um, polarity shift. So, um, you know, it should all relate back to your genre as well. Like, you should be able to look at these things and say, okay, do all of these things relate back to my global, global genre? And what that means is, for example, if you're writing an action story, Uh, Action stories typically turn on, according to Sean Coyne, anyway, they turn on life and death stakes. Basically, if you have an action hero, they're usually dealing with somebody's out to get me. Um, You know, you can imagine Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Most of the things he's dealing with is death on some level. Like he's going to jump off a building. That's that's death. You know, but so whatever he's dealing with along these fifteen points of the story is probably going to relate to life and death with whether it could be his, it could be someone else's, it could be someone dies along the way. And usually when you see the crisis, it's going to have to do with, okay, something blew up in, or someone's going to blow up. Um, they all kind of point back to the global genre. Um, if you're writing a romance story, obviously it's going to point back towards their relationship. It's going to have some effect on the overall genre of the story. So having this big picture view first, and then getting into the individual scenes, when you deal with the individual problems along the way, they should all fit nicely into your global global arc and your global genre. Um, that's something that's important that I hadn't necessarily thought about in those particular terms until I listened to this podcast. Um, but it, it absolutely resonates with me and, and makes complete sense. Um, same thing with, because I am writing an action story. And in, in the podcast, Tim Grawl is writing a YA action adventure story. And you get to sort of follow along with him as he goes in and out of this uh, journey with Sean Coyne over the course of years. They kind of, you know, have, he does multiple drafts of the story and they come back and look at it. And they really analyze uh, story structure really in detail. And they discuss, of course, all of these different elements, you know, genre and <clears throat> the six core questions that an asks. And then he has to basically go through the ringer in, uh, in place of the, of the listener and in in us. So we get to sort of follow along. And enjoy all of this education that we're getting from Sean Coyne who has you know 25 plus years of experience as an editor and it's it's really interesting stuff so um, like I said while I was completely daunted by the story initially or by the book initially um, and especially because the amount of material that was going to be required to learn like I especially with like okay Excel spreadsheets I don't want to have to spreadsheet something but I actually found it incredibly useful Um being able to look at, at big picture elements and then also be able to break down big picture stuff into small elements, uh, it becomes much less daunting. It's like, okay, I'm really only looking at this particular beat in this particular scene and how it fits into my act and how that then act, that act then fits into the overall story. It, it becomes much more manageable because it gives you the opportunity to do things in bite-sized pieces and you and you can figure out whether if that bite-sized piece works, it can go back in the machine, you know what I mean? And then you can go along and troubleshoot other ones. And you can it's basically a system of troubleshooting individual parts of your story, being able to pull them out, look at them, be like, does this relate to, to what it, where it's supposed to go in the story? Do I need to move it around? Does it need to be earlier in the story? Does this particular element um, you know, degrade my story here, but it would add to it somewhere else? Uh, it, it gives you um, a way of looking at your scenes and determining their function, and their versatility and their usefulness to your story that um, I hadn't had that tool before. So um, I found that very useful. So you can find an example of the StoryGrid spreadsheet on storygrid.com in the downloadable section. You can also find the Fool's Cap Global StoryGrid mock-up. He breaks down um, common stories um, that people, most of the people have, have read. For example, the big one in the book is... He does *Silence of the Lambs*, which is, of course, a you know, classic film, that really well-written book, and and film, and he's able to use a lot of those examples. I mean, he also uses a lot of other movie examples. You know, um, *Chinatown*, for example. You know, he talks about the turning point of of the climax of of uh, *Chinatown*, where he discovers that the woman he's working for, you know, she's protecting her daughter, who's also her sister, which means that, you know, the the dad had actually raped his own daughter, and then she had a sister-slash-daughter. You know, that that changed everything about the way that, that um, Jack Nicholson's character um, behaved in, in the story, and that was a revelatory turning point, is what he describes that as. Um, so he uses examples like that that people can understand, and um, even if you haven't seen the film, like you, you can get what they're talking about. So I do recommend listening to the podcast, if you're struggling with the book at all, and... Also, because of the fact that you can get a lot of the downloadable items off the website, you might want to start there because a lot of this stuff is explained on the website, and then you can potentially grab the. I don't I haven't had the ebook; I haven't tried that out, but it might be a solution just in case you don't. This isn't necessarily cheap. I think it's over twenty dollars to get the StoryGrid book. Um, it is nice to have, <clears throat> but like I said, you can get a lot. Of, if you're an auditory learner like me, I would highly recommend going back to the beginning of the podcast. Um, you know, and maybe put it on double speed like I did and just burn your way through the back episodes before you try to jump into the current stuff. Because if you were to go listen to the podcast now and listen to like last week's episode, you'd be completely lost most likely if you're not already familiar with it. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of like my, my, my key takeaways from, from this were that you really need to understand your genre. You need to focus in on that before you start editing, uh, preferably before you start writing, obviously, so that you can understand the genre conventions Uh, and really get what it is that your readers expect from this type of book. And the way that you do that is, of course, read other books in your genre who are doing well, who are succeeding and not doing what Bone Shaker did and just breaking all their own rules and then dissatisfying people. Um, But you want to find the ones that are doing well, and you want to um, emulate that structure of, say, okay, what are the things these things have in common? Um, All the great car movies have car chases, so I'm going to put a car chase in my car book. Um, you know, all these, it, whatever you're writing, make sure that you're digesting a fair amount of stories in, in that genre uh, so that you can make sure that you're not going to, you know, leave your, your readers unsatisfied while, while turning around and making it something different. You have to obviously not just do what everyone else is, is doing. You have to add your own flavor to it. But what your flavor is going to be is the facade of the house. It's going to look cool. It's not going to be the structure of the house um, that you're changing. So uh, that that's big for me. Um, Understanding that the individual acts can have their own inciting incident, um, complication that's progressive, then a climax uh, or a crisis, a climax and resolution, those are important. And and one of the things that I always struggled with was uh, the midpoint crisis and just crisis in general. And one of the things that they're good at discussing in this story, or in this book rather, is the idea of different types of of crises. Um, For example, the best bad choice, meaning that you got a bad option A and you got bad option B. You have to choose one of them. That's an excellent way of doing it. Or maybe you've got good option A and good option B, and that creates tension too, where like I've got two good things to choose from. Maybe I've got, you know, boy A loves my character, but boy B also loves my character. That's wonderful. But if you choose one, you exclude the other. Therefore, there's tension. You know, so even two good things can create tension and create a crisis in your story. Um, there's a lot of ways to, to, to take each of these elements and make sure that they work in, in, in your book. Um, but you can add your own flair, like we were saying. That This structure is not going to hem you in. It's actually going to uh, encourage you to innovate within the confines of the structure. But you'll feel a lot safer um, to innovate because you know that the roof is staying on. Um, and I think that's, that's an important thing. Like, people that don't outline, people that don't plan, or they don't want to go back and revise... Um, you know, thoroughly and, and really understand the fundamentals, if they think, oh, I'm just going to write the story from the heart and it's going to just work, maybe it will. It's possible that you might get lucky. But more than likely, there's going to be massive holes somewhere, That you're, or there's going to be slowdown areas where you lose readers or, or um, you know, the pacing's off. And a lot of that comes down to analyzing how these individual scenes fit into the global story and you know your polarity shifts and stuff like that that he's talking about and if you can understand these fundamentals you really can become a better writer you can become a um you can give your readers a better more satisfying experience which i think is fantastic and i think that's that's what we're all going for at the end of the day as writers so um i blazed through my half hour already i knew that this was going to be the case it's possible that i I may end up doing um, an additional um, episode on this at some point as I, as I get into it. But um, key takeaways, you know, definitely check out the website. Check out, um, writer, you know, the, the, uh, the storygrid.com and check out the, those six core questions. Check out, download this, the Fool's Caps story grid just so you can uh, make your own um, and see, see how to use your own pad of paper to, to outline your stories and keep it simple in your own mind. That's great, um, and then understand each of your acts in, in a real, basic way. Make sure you get those fifteen core, core scenes in your book. Identify what those are before you start playing around with everything else, and make sure that you know that that the structure is there. Um, and of course, under and there's a lot more to to dive into, like your character's object of desire and all those other things that he's talking about here. Um, but like I said, I, I don't, unfortunately I don't have the time to to dive into all of that. But I do recommend the book. I really recommend the podcast, but you absolutely have to start at the beginning. That would be my big recommendation. So I hope this um, episode has been useful. I appreciate uh, those of you who have watched and commented. I really uh, enjoy uh, being able to come on and and share these things that I learn on my own writing journey because this is something that, like I said, every time I write a book, I'm always trying to get better. I hope that every book I write is the best thing I've ever written. And the only way to do that is to continue to grow and get better. And the only way to do that is to, to learn from you know, editors like Sean, who obviously have the experience and know what they're talking about. And I, I uh, hope that my sharing my experience has been useful to all of you. And if you liked this episode, um, I ho- hope you can um, give it some comments and likes. And if you want to share it anywhere uh, to, with other authors that you think might find it useful, uh, please do. I always appreciate that. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening, and um, I will be back again. I, there may not be an episode next week. I'm, I'm still um, I've got some some family stuff going on. Uh, nothing bad, just all good stuff. But it's going to be a busy week, so it's possible there may not be an episode next week. But um, I will do my best to be back soon with another uh, thrilling episode, with another another guest book face for you to, to chat with. And um, I appreciate you all listening and watching. And we'll be back and uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks.